All right, you're here with Josiah on Truth. this episode of Truth and Fiction. I've got a guest today, and it is... Scott Mills. <laughs> yep, a good friend of mine, and I'll let him give a couple words about himself and get a little background here. Well, okay, thanks, Josiah. Thanks for having me on. I think when people see the, the title of this episode, they're going to want to watch it or listen to it um, because, I mean... The Empire Strikes Back, right? Right. I mean, Great I, if I'm looking through a list of movies with podcasts associated with them, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit on this one. So I feel pretty honored, man. But yeah, I'm a local school teacher, uh, born and raised in Nevada County. Um, teach at Lima Gilmore Middle School. Uh, I've taught eighth grade uh, literature and humanities um, for the last 25 years. Uh, also, avid coach, volleyball, football. Um, direct a youth program called Campus Life here for teenagers. So my life's pretty much teenagers. And uh, and yeah, so um, I'm the, like everybody else, just trying to live out th- this pandemic in the most graceful way possible. <laughs> well, I'm really glad you can join us. You're quite the, the universalist. And I think if we took a poll of uh, people in our county and asked who is the most avid Star Wars fan you know, you would probably win that one by a long shot. <laughs> Well, I did. I, I have to brag and say I did win the Star Wars trivia contest in the line waiting to see episode one when it was re- <laughs> released for the midnight showing back in 1999. So I think that should count for something. I'm not surprised one bit. So that being the case, uh, today we're talking about The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, probably um, <clears throat> unanimously, or maybe not unanimously, but definitely one of the best, if not the best, of the Star Wars series as a whole, uh, prequels included, and we won't talk about the later ones. But um, Scott, would you give me just the basic rundown of the plot of that particular movie? And I know we're going to have to bleed into the others a little bit, and so maybe you can give just the, the snippet of, of, of where that goes or comes from and goes as well. Yeah, sure. So it's the, thir- it's the second act of a three-act play, right? So um, you start off where uh, you're in the middle, in the middle of a story. Um, it takes place three years after the return or the, the end of uh, Star Hope. Wars, A New Hope. Yeah. And um, they're, they're, they've been running. The, the Rebel Alliance has been running from the Empire. Uh, we found out when we watched this movie, much short dismay, that the Empire was not destroyed when the Death Star was destroyed. Uh, they were still um, alive and well and out hunting for the Rebel Alliance and Luke Skywalker, which has hidden themselves away and sequestered themselves on the ice planet of Hoth. And uh, in this episode, we, we find that um, the Empire it, it sends out a bunch of probe droids, uh, finds the rebels on their icy planet, um, goes down there and makes war against them, drives them out of there. Um, our heroes uh, go through um, some adventures during, during that time, um, are eventually forced off of the planet, and they all get scattered. Our heroes, for the first time, get totally scattered and each go their own different directions. And Luke Skywalker goes to try to find um, his future mentor Yoda um, somewhere in the galaxy that Obi-Wan has told him to go. And Han and Leia uh, and 3PO and R2 are um, off in their spaceship Millennium Millennium Falcon being pursued by the Empire at every turn. Um, They end up on Cloud City and Han is betrayed by his friend Lando, uh, whereas Luke does find Yoda is trained in the ways of the Force. Um, The the friendship group of... uh, Leia and Lando and R2 get captured into the clutches of Darth Vader on Cloud City, and Luke um, gets a vision of their problem and rushes to save them despite the warnings of his master Yoda. And there's a final kind of combat that ensues 
Um, spoiler alert, during this combat, uh, Luke finds out that Darth Vader, his arch nemesis, is actually his father. And the episode ends um, with Luke um, on a medical frigate, having his hand just cut off, and Han and, and Chewie, uh, or nice. actually Han, no, actually, yeah, Han was frozen in ice, huh? Yep. And Chewie and Lando are off to rescue Han uh, from the evil gangster Jabba right. the Hutt. So that was kind of a rambling summary, but that's hey, that was good. That was good. It brought back a lot of memories. Those that uh, there's, there's two scenes that I always think of with this movie, and it's the the ice battle on Hoth is so iconic in my mind. The 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 big walkers, the ATATs, uh, and just this storming line of imperial troops on this little defense as they try to get away. It, I don't know why that always sticks out. And then the Cloud City. It's such a cool. Such a cool idea. I mean, I, I can't think of any time something like that had ever showed up in film previously. It was such a unique, uh, I don't know, it's, it's what I might imagine an establishment on, uh, like, what's the, the second rock from the star, Venus? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, some dense atmosphere. You just float, some, float something up in space, and there you have it. Yeah, well, George Lucas is a visual storyteller, and so he imagined yeah. vi- a lot of visually stunning sets and settings and um that's what you get with all of the star wars movies is you're going from one uh dynamic visual uh mind-blowing place to another yeah yep yeah he does such a good job too with with his minimal special effects just recreating a very real experience like it feels that whole that whole set from the cloud city feels like you're really in this totally foreign place and it's it's not a lot like it. he really did an amazing job with that so when we're looking at this movie, uh, first off, what do you feel like are some of the main themes uh, that that Lucas is looking at uh, exploring? Yeah, well, um, I mean, Star Wars is uh, deeply steeped in mythology, as most people know. And um, those, those themes actually really run, honestly, all the way from episode one through all of the movies, including the new movies, all the way through episode nine. Um, so it's hard to take... Uh, Jet or uh, Empire, and just really pull them out of there because they're really going through all of the movies. But um, uh, you know, Luke's spiritual journey—that you know, the spiritual journey that we are all on—is uh, definitely one of the big themes of of Empire. Um, coming to grips with your own weaknesses, your own dark side—you know, if you will—Luke um, has to do a lot of that. Uh, friendship is a theme in all the Star Wars movies. Redemption is a theme um things not being what they seem at mm. first right this whole appearance versus reality idea that it may may seem to be one thing while being very different on the inside yeah right looking beneath uh, it's always uh empire really drives the conversation deeper and does it very effectively and i think that's one of the reasons why it's kind of one of the more beloved uh, episodes. Yeah, there's some there's some really profound moments in this one. One of them that that stands out to me is that moment where Luke is training on Dagobah with with Yoda, and uh, he goes off a little ways, and Yoda kind of warns him, and he kind of goes anyway as he tends to do, and he fi- comes across Darth Vader in the forest, and mm-hmm. they have a little battle, and he cuts his head off only to to see the face under the mask to be his own. You know, what do you take from that? What do you take from that moment? Well, that, that's terrified me as a kid. I, I will have to say, you know, uh, when it I first watched confused me that, as a kid. I, yeah, I was a little confused too. What's this all about? Mm-hmm. You know, you really think he's facing Darth Vader and it finds out he's just facing the dark side of himself. And, you know, of course, that's um, representative. Uh, you know, um, uh, Joseph Campbell has this line, the cave 
that you are afraid to enter holds the treasure that you seek. I think that's kind of a, was it the, the Knights of the Round Table? Same thing, they all go looking for the Holy Grail and the place that seems dark. They enter the forest and the place that seems yeah. darkest to them. Yes, right. Similar so Luke has to go into this dark cave. Um, he's afraid to go. Luke, you know, Yoda tells him to put his weapons down. He doesn't need them and he keeps them with him anyways. Right. And, um, and he goes in there and he sees, uh, you know, this representation of evil in his mind. And in battling with that evil, he, he looks down to find that that evil is actually in him. It's him, mm-hmm. you know, so, so yeah, that's a, that's a pretty, it's a pretty deep moment. You know, it's, it's something that we all have to come to grips with sooner or later is our own capacity for evil. And, um, that, how does that fit into his, his story arc as a whole, like his hero's journey throughout the, the, at least the three movies, uh, in the middle. Yeah, well, you know, with any with any hero's journey, you're going to start off with a character, and, and definitely Luke, that's um, full of false confidence. You know, he thinks he's such a great pilot, and he thinks he can handle everything himself, but really, he's just kind of a whiny kid. Classic four-year college grad. <laughs> there you go, yeah. And uh, and so, you know, the, the hero has to be, you know, basically taken apart and deconstructed um, down to his very core during the course of, of their journey. And so there's a there's a point in the journey where um, the hero really has to come to grips with their own weakness, depravity, um, whatever you want to call it, um, before they can be stripped really of their false pride, and and kind of reemerge and sort of be reborn. And when Luke comes out of that cave, he's a little bit different. He's a little bit reborn. He's had to confront something deeper and darker than he's ever had to confront before, and that's true of of, of any good hero's journey. Yeah, and something more tangible. I mean, because he's he's experienced some pretty intense darkness at this point. In a, in a New Hope, he's he's seen his well come back right after his aunt and uncle are murdered. Uh, he sees Darth Vader strike down Obi Wan Kenobi. Although in that moment, it's not really clear whether Obi Wan sort of gives up his life at the mm-hmm. same time as Vader actively striking him down, because it it almost seems like while Vader was battling him, Obi Wan just decides to go knowing that he needed to in that moment, which is an interesting way to portray that, especially given uh, throughout over the course, you see a lot of lightsaber battles and that's just not the way people die by lightsaber. Right. Yeah. Well, the hero has to lose his guide. Right. And Obi-Wan knows that. And, um, and he knows that Luke, I mean, they're living in perilous times there, right? There's a lot at stake. And, and Obi-Wan seems to know that Luke's never going to rise to be his full self as long as he's in the shadow of Obi-Wan and has to follow him around all the time. And so um, it, was a, it was an act of self-sacrifice to allow uh, Luke to be the, become the fullness of who he would become. Yeah, okay. Um, wow, that's, so that's a pretty profound uh, like liter- literary trope. Like That's really mm-hmm. common in, mm-hmm. in story, that, that sort of the death, like I think of Miyagi or whatever. Like there's the, the classic, uh, y- the hero has to be separated from his guide, usually in a final way is how it manifests. But to make that a little bit more tangible, like, Scott, like, is there, how, how would you see that, those moments in your own life? Can you think of times where that's, where those were pivotal, like that's a pivotal transformative experience? Or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one that comes to mind, and I think about it a lot, is when I was 16, uh, my grandfather passed away from cancer. He lived with us in his, in his final years. He had brain cancer. He and I were great friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was uh, not only a, a profound mentor to me, but he was my friend. And we went hiking together, and we played games together, and we goofed off and went and got ice cream together. 
and to watch him kind of uh, waste away and die of brain cancer was one of the toughest and most traumatic experiences that I've ever had. But what I realized looking back on that, and my mom actually helped point it out to me one time, was um, that that few months after he passed away, um, I became a different version of myself. Um, I, I became more bold. Uh, I, I tried different things. I kind of I was a pretty shy, kind of a timid kid. And um, that somehow I didn't I did not connect that at the time, probably not for 15 years or more after that I connect that. But I became a different person after that summer that he passed away. And I think there was a little bit of that that Obi-Wan Kenobi thing. It's almost like he 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 passed away and and I found a new, uh, I don't know, standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, that that type of a thing for me. I felt like I I don't it was not conscious in any way at the time, but it released me from something. Such a counterintuitive thing. Like I wouldn't expect that to be your experience or anyone's experience. You know, when you lose someone that you depend on, that you're used to being there, uh, especially you've looked up to and given you good advice, and you would think that life would only get more difficult, more complicated, harder. Like there'd be more insecurity, more shakiness. But, but what you're saying, it sounds like on some level, uh, you were able to to grow even stronger and be, be in a better place and be more capable afterward, despite that loss. Yeah. And 25 years later, when my father passed away, I had another experience very, very similar. Wow. Uh, you know, I, you have to go on without your guide. And as long as your guide's out in front of you, um, you kind of, you, you hide behind them in this little certain way. Um, you look to them and you have to increasingly look to your, to yourself and your own resources after, after you're losing people like this. And that's, so that's why that's such a common motif in, in stories is, um, is the, lo- the losing of the guide is very necessary for the hero to gain some um, independence. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like a certain level, a new level of, of agency that sort of comes about. Um, Steve and I have been talking about Harry Potter, and I, I think of Dumbledore's death you know, towards the end of the sixth novel as being such a profound moment. You know, he's he's the last person anyone can think. He's the, he's the last wall defending the world against you know Voldemort, and then he's gone, out of just mm. just out of nowhere, and uh, and and now it has to be Harry, and there's, you know, it's such a such a sad moment. But at the same time, that if that had never happened, Harry would not have been launched into the position that he needed to take, where he he had to kind of ditch school for a year. He had to give up everything he thought. He, he needed, he set out with his friends and the three of them just knuckled down and, and, you know, performed miracles essentially in order to, to save uh, the world as he knew it. And that is another one of those moments, you know, the, 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 of the, <laughs> the mentor having to die, just sad. It's yeah, hard. There's yeah, no way around yeah. that being tough. Yeah, no. And, and you know, it's part, it's just part of life. It is part of life. Um, yeah. All of us will lose our mentors in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always dramatic in a movie, but they may just move away or you may outgrow, you know, feel like you outgrew them and they may just fade out of your life or whatever, but, um, you've, you've got to go on without them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so in, in Star Wars, Luke is, he gets a new mentor, uh, at this point, you know, he's, he's told to go to Yoda and Yoda is a bit of an unconventional mentor. Uh, I, I see him as a little bit of the, the wise fool is sort of how he's presented himself archetypally. Uh, how do you feel like Yoda fits into that, into that whole picture uh, as, you know, in, in as far as the development of Luke as, as a character and as a hero, trying to get him to the place where he needs to be? Yeah, well, the very meeting of Yoda is a test for Luke, right? Um, it's a <laughs> test of that false pride. He, he, he has some pre- preconceived idea of what a great warrior is supposed to be like or right. look like, and so, which is another common theme of mythology is these, you know, the little toad by the side of the road becomes the the most is the most powerful being in in the scene you know 
Um, and always the Uruguay uh, from uh, <laughs> Kung yeah, Fu Panda because the it, turtle. Re- <laughs> it reveals pride. It yeah. reveals pride, and and pride is the thing that's got to be stripped off. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the hero, um, one way or the other, and. And so we see that Luke isn't, you know, Yoda says he's not ready because um, he senses Luke's Luke's still a prideful little sucker, he's still kind of a kind of a brat um, at that point. Yeah. Um, but Obi Wan convinces him to train him anyways. And, uh, <laughs> That's and right. It was a good decision. Oh, but, but was it? <laughs> <laughs> it was touch and go for a while. It was. It was very touch and go. I mean, uh, Obi Wan and, and Qui Gon both aren't exactly known for picking the best pupils. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, um, Qui-Gon uh, saw it, you know, and, and if you look all the way back to um, to episode one and mm-hmm. his choice of Anakin and um, really that that uh, lightsaber duel with with Darth Maul yeah. um, was a pivotal. It's, it's in fact, the, the, the theme song for that lightsaber duel was Duel of Fates. Yes, because the fate of it wasn't the fate of Qui-Gon was that was at stake there it was the fate of Anakin because uh, Qui-Gon was the father figure. Qui-Gon chose Anakin. Right. Right. Um, uh, what does Obi-Wan call him? Another pathetic life form or something like that when he first meets oh, him? Oh, yeah. Why do we pick up another pathetic yeah. life so, form? So he wasn't Obi-Wan's choice. He was Qui-Gon's no, choice. No, no. That was Jar Jar Binks he was talking about. No, he, well, he, was, no he, was, he was talking about uh, Anakin. Was he? He was comparing him to Jar Jar, actually. Oh, because I'm, Jar Jar I'm, was the first pathetic life form <laughs> that they picked up. And he said... He was particularly bad. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, so Qui-Gon um, may have been the father figure that Anakin would have needed to turn out a little better than he did. Um, but he was killed, and, and Obi Wan had to take it up. And, and as Obi Wan even said himself, that he failed in training right. him. He he became kind of more like a brother to him, right? Which is strange. Yeah, I mean, his relationship to Anakin was very different than what Qui Gon's could have been for sure. Yeah, uh, and I think part of Anakin's uh, downfall, and and certainly one of the things I think as pointed out is is his lack of fathers because he goes his whole young life without a father except for that brief moment with Qui-Gon because Qui-Gon really is sort of the patriarch of that group I mean he's he would be on the council as he says if he wasn't so rebellious and uh and his, even Qui-Gon's attitude toward Obi-Wan is much more sort of like the more of the mentor and when Obi-Wan takes Anakin they've got an age difference of maybe eight years or something it's just not that much and and they grow up together in a lot of ways. And, you know, the whole uh, that that whole animated series kind of explores that to some yeah, extent. And, right. And I've read a lot of those books when I was in uh, middle school. The 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 all the missions that uh, Obi Wan and Anakin go on. There's there's a lot that happens there, but but they are uh, he's he never really has a father, you know, and he he wishes that he did. You know, he wants to be on the council. I feel like it's he's he's always looking for this authoritative, strong figure to help him figure out what his boundaries are, and he never really gets that. Yeah, no, he has a typical father wound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. big time. Do you see that in Luke? Well, you you know you almost do. I mean, you do. Um, I mean, the very fact that he you know feels like he needs to go save his father. You know, that his father's so messed up that he needs to go save him. That's such a weird, so that, that, what, what do you think precipitates that change in attitude? Because for the first two movies, pretty much, he's like, I need to destroy Vader. And then all of a sudden he's got this change in attitude where he feels like he can save him. Yeah. And, and that's the, that's the mirroring of, um, of our experience on earth, right? Like, like you've said in, in these podcasts, like the stories are are about truth they are about what's really happening inside of us. And Mm -hmm. so you have, um, how often do you have the, the teenage son who, um, just says, you know, 
screw you to your father, to the father and all everything you've ever been about. You know, I'm just going the other, whatever way you're going, I'm going the other direction. Right. Um, and they're, and you have this father and son where they're at each other's throat. And, you know, in, in this movie is like, literally they're trying to kill each other. Yeah. Literally. Right? Uh-huh. Literally. And, um, and then, um, at some point, actually, uh, you know, Vader's almost always trying to get Luke to join him, <laughs> which yeah. is, yeah, because, you know, because the father, um, the father's a, a different relationship with the son than the son yeah. with the father, right? The father still at some level cares, cares about the kid, yeah, yeah. uh, but the father's going to whoop up on the kid a little bit, but at the end of the day, the father does kind of, kind of want the kid to be with him, right? You know, fathers and, want kids, their sons to be with them. And the pathological father uh, wants to keep the son from passing him in some sense, whereas the mm-hmm. more honorable and the, the the healthy father wants their son to stand on their shoulders and to go go beyond where he went. Yeah, and I yeah. feel like there's there was a transition there even with Vader, whereas he would have you know had him join him only to keep him down until you know until whatever it was that maybe maybe redeemed him at the end or not yeah that was the pattern that was the pattern of the sith right Right. to to take on an apprentice and basically kill him when they when they didn't need him anymore yeah um and then what does yoda say in episode eight that uh that they outgrow you is the true burden of leadership Mm. right and and maybe a fatherhood as well yeah i mean that's gotta be a hard thing to see what's it like when uh jordan can finally yeah. dunk on you huh? <laughs> well dunk on me that happened pretty early on he was like 15 he was dunking right. on me dug on it but i still got him covered on a motorcycle right now so i'm still feeling all right gotta where it counts, no, huh? no it is something else to watch your watch your kid you know jordan's 19 now and to watch your kid you know start to you knew it was going to happen but you watch him so, so sort of slowly passing you up on on this and that and the other thing and um, to tell the truth, I, I, it's a thrill. I mean, I, I love it uh, watching my kids grow up. But I also can see how it's difficult. And I think maybe the more insecure you are, um, the more difficult it would be. Hmm. But um, but going back to Luke, you know, he uh, sooner or later that kid is going to look back at his dad and say, you know what, I I want to have a relationship. You know, and it, it may take a long time. And um, so that happens with Luke too. You know, he's he's been trying to kill his dad. And he, he wants to hate his dad so much. And a lot of, I think, sons really want to hate their dad a lot. But um, sooner or later, something more powerful than them sort of takes over. And, and you, want to, you want to kind of reconcile. And that's the whole atonement with the father thing, which is a big theme in, in all of Lucas's work. Yeah. Well, and that's a big theme in, in a lot of stories. I'm thinking now of uh, Pinocchio. So sort of the last act of Pinocchio is it, it's his last challenge before becoming a real boy and uh, sort of going from being a puppet to being an autonomous human being is this process of rescuing his father from the belly of the whale. Mm-hmm. And that's this, um, you know, there's this beautiful Peterson lecture where he talks about how that compares to uh, there's another sort of mythological story in, in Egypt where there's a similar motif where the the hero of the story has to go and rescue the father who's been trapped by the by the uh, by the villain essentially and and that represents this idea of you know the new hero who is able to take new information and integrate that into what they know and and bring something valuable back to the community Mm -hmm. uh, at some point recognizes that the father the structure essentially that they've been born out of still has value and resurrects a part of that to bring forward yes. rather than rejecting it entirely. Yep. Yep. 
And that's a, I mean, I imagine it's a hard transition for anyone to make, especially yeah. all these, I'm thinking of all these crazy uh, protesters out there, tear down the, you know, burn the whole system yeah. down. I mean, that's where we're at, right? We're, right? we're burning it all down, deconstruct this, deconstruct that. And if you're just looking on social media, it's it's pretty fashionable for, for young people in their 20s to really tear down every little system that brought them to where they were. Every right. every parent, every school, every everything, you know. Um, and I, I think that's always been a part of, uh, of young people. Um, it just now splashed all over for everyone to see. And it's yeah. sort of, um, it's sort of sickening to me to see that. Cause I know these people so at some point will look back and be like, you know what? That was beautiful. What these, what these people did to try to help me when I was a young person, you know, that was, <laughs> it, they were flawed. They weren't perfect, but it was, but it was awesome. You know? Yeah. There's, there's some gratitude that is due there, yeah. you know? And even, I think even Luke, like maybe that's part of what he, part of what he takes to heart is the gratitude of of a father who who allowed him to come to be and let him live you know he theoretically you know anakin could have sought to destroy him out of bitterness at any point or for a long period of time it it seems absurd to me to think that he was completely unaware of their existence at some level he must have known because you know that by the time it, it comes to, you know, he knows who Luke is Yeah. at, at that point. So at, there, there's been a, there had been a time now where he is known and chosen not to really seek to destroy him. And it's unclear what that is or what that whole process would have been like in, in, you know, Darth Vader's mind. But, um, but there, it's good to see that Luke, you know, makes the transition from from the tear it down into you no. Know, there's there's a part of this that should be saved. Like it's not all worthless. There's there's a piece that that needs to be brought forward for for the good of everyone. Right, know? right, and that's every generation has to has to get there. Right, right, because independence is never the goal of the hero. You know, in, independence, total independent, total self-sufficiency. Yeah, yeah that's, right, that's, that's where it. you are in the middle of the journey. You have to go from full on dependence at the mm-hmm. beginning of the journey to independence somewhere in the middle of the journey. But right. by the time you're, you're ready to be full circle, you've understood interdependence. Right. And that, that everybody plays their part and you're just a big part of something much, much bigger than yourself going on. Yeah. That, that, that violent independence, that extreme, uh, self-sufficiency is a, is a swim in the ocean. You know, it is a chaotic, difficult, painful thing that establishes one in, in some sense. It makes them more tangible and more real and more of a force to be reckoned with. But you can't live there. Mm-mm. It's just no, it's nowhere to stay. And, you know, just like the first person, the old, the old line, the first one through is an easy kill. You can't just, you can't live there. Right. Sooner or later, you got to find your place within the community. Yep, you got to return and transform the kingdom. Yep. Yeah, right. And and I, I never thought of Luke that way. I've never thought of him actually having you know made that full full transition. What do you feel is the the symbolism of Cloud City as a as like a location and a place? Like what? Well, I actually read recently that, um, and I didn't know this, but I know uh, George Lucas was highly influenced by Flash Gordon, some of those serial. Um, science fiction uh, th- films that were going on when he was Flash growing Gordon, up. Flash Gordon, the superhero? Mm-hmm. Okay, because I've not read any of those. Yeah, you know, I mean, that was that was a long time ago. Fla- Flash Gordon uh, was like, there was a lot of black and white. Old, it was like the same time as like the Lone Ranger. And he was also oh. fascinated with the, with that serial stuff that was at the movies when he was a kid. And he'd pay a dime and go down and watch five different movies when he was a kid, black and white. And, um, and I, I just found out that uh, there was a floating city in Flash Gordon. Oh. And that's kind of where he kind of came okay. up with that concept. 
but at the same time, you know, there's a reason why it's it's set apart and floating and, and kind of um, off on its own, too. It's a very rosy sort of, uh, it seems like a, a utopian-esque location to me. Like, my, my sense upon that set is that things are going fine here. They're really well-structured. Yeah. Lando's got, he seems to be an appropriate sort of authority you know, as soon as as soon as things start to go bad, he's on the intercom telling everyone to get out, knowing yeah. that he's going to be the guy who you know he's on the intercom. So obviously Vader's coming for him. Like there's, it seems like this sort of well set up society of sorts. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's what that's what Han and Leia were looking for, someplace out of the way where they could hide, right? So maybe that would right. symbolize some some utopian small town out in the middle of nowhere where you think you can go and you can get away from everything, you can get away from all the problems of the world. But the Empire finds them there too, right? <laughs> and and that's part of one of the things is, yeah. is is when you have an evil Empire, nothing is outside the scope of that. No, they will find you wherever you are. What do you think? What do you think are the parallels of the empire uh, that we see today, like what in in our society? You know, I don't want to. I'm not going to dip too far into politics here because I'm <laughs> yeah, not going to. Sure. But but I I think that there are still parallels uh, to that sort of overreaching ideology of of control and you know. Uh, we talk a lot on this podcast about the the balance between chaos and order and sort of the hyper structured order that manifests itself over and over again in these stories. Um, the empire is a kind of an interesting manifestation of that. And I was curious where you see that. Where you see that now? Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things, you know, Lucas, um, like a lot of contemporaries in the seventies was really highly skeptical of um, just the, the answers being technology hmm. to everything to solve all of our problems. And um, you, what you see with the Empire is very, is very cold, calculating, um, uh, profoundly unspiritual um, realm yeah. uh, right. that just tries to, uh, you know, solve every problem with, with either pure force or technology of some kind, right. uh, uniformity of some kind. They literally built their own planet of technology. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a great. That's a great example. I think of the tech giants of today and how there's no place you can go they can't reach. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, no, it's that's right. a terrifying thing. And we invite yeah. them with us in our pockets. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Oh man, yeah, and that's that's true, and not not necessarily. So you know, say for example, uh, say for example, their their order that they've forced upon the 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 galaxy. Maybe that's been good. Maybe it's created established uh, safe trade routes and it's uh, created a common currency and, and allowed businesses to flourish. You know, let's just say maybe it's not. Maybe the rebels really aren't the good guys. You know, maybe, maybe they're trying to tear this thing down because they want freedom. But ultimately, uh, if they were to cast the, the galaxy into chaos again, that things would be worse off. That's there's a couple places where I, that my mind immediately goes in that scenario because on one hand it, it, it's that cycle of of oh, too much order being thrust into chaos and then trying to restructure a better order out of it and how difficult that is um yeah and i think just basically on a, on a real simple level too it's just about about control right you know and I, one of the one of the lines that really resonates from all of the star wars movies is Princess Leia saying to to Tarkin, um, the more you know, the more you tighten your grip, the more star systems are going to slip through your fingers, and that's what they were trying to do with with all of their big bad 
technology and, and um, armed forces and everything is just, it's just put a vice down on the, and have control over everything. Right. You know, one of the things that I also, you know, a theme that I think kind of runs through that really uh, connects with the, the American mind. Um, I'm a, I'm a U.S. history teacher and, uh, and how it sort of connects with the story of America actually, and just the, the rebellion against, uh, against the Great Brits. Britain. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and the tyranny that they saw, you know, Great Britain, uh, imposing upon the colonies you know right and i tell my kids sometimes like star wars kind of is kind of based on the american revolution in a way <laughs> and one of the reasons why we love it just a bunch of rebel freedom fighters fighting for their rights against tyranny you know it's it's a really broad it's a really broad stroke it's a really right. um broad theme it that, is. that has happened throughout history right you know um you have somebody come into power um just just wielding a little bit too much and then people have to kind of stand up for themselves at some point and and battle against that and t- sort of trying to take that down and it's happened in, in so many movies because it happens in real life. Yeah, yeah. That's a, it's, it's really, it's true. You see that. There. <laughs> That's a great parallel. Um, what, do you, what do you feel about the, the old phrase, one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really. Um, yeah, they definitely saw those, uh, those rebel scum as, <laughs> as terrorists, right? Right. Yeah, uh, it's funny. I I think that's maybe one of the great flaws of Star Wars, in my opinion, is sort of the 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 non nuanced version of this enemy. Like the enemy is just, it's dark. All the symbolism is dark. He walks around this big black robe. Like there's no mistaking him for a, for any sort of neutral character. And the Empire it seems to exert itself in every way with force and control and manipulation and torture. It's like, obviously these guys are bad. And, and I, I, there's one thing I appreciated about some of the more modern, uh, sort of archetypal hero stories. You have a much more nuanced bad guy. So like, I always bring Thanos into it. Like Thanos is a bad dude. Like no one's thinking he's great, but at the same time, when he talks, when you listen to his logic and his reason and, and, and his, his implementation of his horrible policy, it almost sounds reasonable. And they almost seems like it could come from this heart of intending good and trying to preserve future suffering, like being willing to afflict suffering now to save more suffering later and all this stuff. And so I appreciate that more nuanced yeah. look. Of yeah, the, for sure. Of and that's villain. definitely the thing. And, and Ryan Johnson, uh, Ryan Johnson tried to do a little bit of that with episode eight. You know, oh, he, tried, right. he tried to nuance it just a, just a little bit. And, and Star Wars fans didn't actually really like that very, very much. And yeah. I think that goes back to, uh, George Lucas's original vision with Star Wars. So Star Wars came out in the 70s, right? And um, I think right. people were, and that in the 70s came out of the 60s, and there was so much societal upheaval. And what people really needed was a very simple, hopeful story. Yeah. And so I think that was very purposeful on Lucas's part. I think that there was that kind of nuance going on in his generation, but he just said, now's not the time. Yeah. You know, now's not the time. And most mythology throughout throughout history has has really kind of drawn a pretty stark contrast between good and evil. Yeah, well, an archetypal story has to has to almost exaggerate things in yeah. some sense. You know, when you, when you're really trying to get down to the simplest core ideas behind what makes a hero, you got to get rid of a lot of the excesses. You know, I think Avengers can pull off what they do because they've got what fifty hours of video time that yeah. they've put together yeah. to tell all these yeah, stories, for sure. and it makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, so you said uh, the seventies, when, when did the first one come out? Uh, 77. 77. Okay. Yeah. So late seventies. Some reason I, I thought they were more recent than that, but I guess that makes sense. Well, they've been, they've been going ever since. They've yeah. Been, right. They've been coming really at us ever much. since. Uh, fortunately, uh, a fun thing, um, that you may not know, Josiah about star Wars was, you know, George Lucas, um, grew up a, a kind of a student, student of mythology. 
and uh, one of his his favorite teachers when he was at USC film school was a man named Joseph Campbell here with a thousand faces who studied all the archetypes and all the stories from all over every culture, especially native Americans and all over Europe. Um, and so he saw all the commonalities between those things. And, um, what he was saying, what he, one of his main points was that, uh, mythology's purpose in a society is to help it grow strong. And the way it helps the society grow strong is it, it's, it's the way stories are the way you pass your values down to this generation that's coming of age. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you can't just lecture them all the time. You can't uh, put a list of commandments on the wall. Um, you have to connect with their heart and their mind. Yeah. And and cultures have always done that through stories. Yes. And the strongest cultures had real robust mythologies. And in in, in film school, uh, George Lucas is reading Joseph Campbell and saying, "Holy smokes! Like America doesn't have its mythology." You know. Uh, Britain had the Arthurian legends and, mm-hmm. you know, the Greeks had their Greek mythology and the Norse mythology and, and the Native Americans had their mythology. Where was our mythology? If we're going to be a great society, we need to have a mythology. And one of the brilliant things about George Lucas, he said, no one's done it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make, I'm going to huh. create the original American mythology. And the sucker did it. I've never thought about that as being his intention. I mean, there really are, there it has that, uh, has that flavor, the flavor of a mythology. You know, I mean, even, the the following uh, behind these movies is very much like a um, like a religious following in some sense. I mean, and then he brings in quite a bit of Eastern religious ideas, and he brings in the classic hero's journeys, the the hopeful potentials. The uh, that's 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 fascinating. And then of course starting out with the the story of the uh, <laughs> um, the rebellion that separates us from Britain too. I mean, yeah. I, I could see how that would be incorporated into a mythology. Yeah, so yeah, that was gonna. He knew that would resonate with our with our American character. Oh, yeah, you know, really well. But he, you know, he the Star Wars movies are very religious in nature. Yeah, and um and I read in, a, in an interview of George Lucas one time that he he felt like in the seventies maybe people were stopped, they stopped asking the question, is there a God? Um, they had become so reliant on, um, you know, man, so humanistic and, and, their tech, and our technology and our ability to overcome our problems are by ourselves. And he wanted people to ask that question about God again. Hmm. And, and, and so he wanted to just, he didn't want to be heavy handed about it, but he just wanted to throw it out there. And so he's got, I mean, the, the force is the big thing about Star Wars that makes it Star Wars. Right? Yeah, right. You can't have you, you can't go and have a Star Wars universe without without the Force. You right, know? it's a fairly ambiguous thing too. You know, it's uh, it's it's very yeah. much open for interpretation. Yes, yes. He didn't want to, again. He didn't want to be heavy handed about it. He mm-hmm. wanted to pull from every re- religious tradition in, in kind of creating that spiritual entity. Um, but you, you know, you see it even like even in the Mandalorian. You know, right. um, where where they're where they're going. I'm pretty sure with his story arc is is you got that almost that Han Solo character of like he's a he's a rugged individualist. And and he's gonna have to he's gonna have to learn that there's more out there that's bigger and greater than he is, and he can't solve all of his problems by himself with his Vespar armor and, and his <laughs> blasters and everything and his flamethrower. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Is is George Lucas involved with Mandalorian? Well, I mean, yes and no. Okay. Um, George Lucas's DNA, or the DNA rather of Star Wars, survived into its. Uh, transition to Disney in the form of Kathleen Kennedy, who is basically his right-hand woman. And really, she really gets George Lucas and what he needs to be, what his stories need to be about. And, uh, she, and kind of one of the deals of going to Disney was Kathleen Kennedy's, you know, coming with it, coming with Lucasfilm, you know, mm-hmm. whether you like it or not. Like, he was ready to step away. Um, but they invite him to, to everything, you know, he gets, he's still oh, the sure. guru. I mean, everybody who's a Star Wars fanatic and these guys producing the Mandalorian are Star Wars fanatics. Yeah from childhood and so they've been 
geeking out about bringing him in on it and inviting him to the set and all that all that stuff. So oh, I'm sure he's it's not doing any of the writing, but he, his influence is all over all over that. So there's some hope yet, huh? <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I, when I saw Kathleen Kennedy was was part of the deal, I thought, you know, I think we're going to be all right. Yeah, yeah, I think we're going to be all right. Well, I look forward to spending a little more time talking about some of these other uh, these other story arcs because just like Harry Potter and hopefully Lord of the Rings here at some point coming up, there's a lot to these stories. And, and Empire Strikes Back in particular is, is this crux turning point on on the story arc that is centered around Luke Skywalker, Leia, and Han Solo's characters. Um, but But there's at least two other profound story arcs that kind of take place with the other trilogies, the the prequel and the sequel trilogies that are all worth uh, addressing. I think Um, Han Solo, he's, he's a interesting character. I I appreciate him being, being the nuanced guy that he is. Yeah. He's Uh, always the guy that uh, I wanted to be like, say, who do you want? No no one wants to be Luke Skywalker, even though that's who we all are. Right. But we all want to be, I don't know. I've always wanted to be Han Solo. What is it about Han Solo? He seemed like such a scallywag to me. Like I, what is it about him that, that he definitely you? has a coolness about him, man? Like he doesn't, he kind of doesn't really care, but then he kind of does care, and he's kind of charming. But he's then he's got a side where he's pretty conscientious, actually, and mm-hmm. he, he's he's witty. Um, he's got it all, man. In my mind, he's Han Solo's pretty much got it all. He's like <laughs> the best character of any movie ever. I think he's he's really established. I, I guess what's funny about him and, and comparing him to Luke in this story, he's he's already been through the stage that Luke is in. He's a, he knows who he is pretty much, and he while he does compromise on occasion for the sake of the people he grows to care about, he he does very much stay true to himself and his values and like and the way he wants to live his life, which is a little bit on the edge, a little bit ethically questionable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I you know throughout the throughout the story, I mean the, the end of was the end of a New Hope where he comes flying back in with the Millennium Falcon and saves the day, like that's 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 his whole story i'm gonna be a little bit less selfish by the end of this thing yeah right, right. that's then and, and that's his story arc he's the rugged individualist who has to learn that you, you no man is an island right kind of thing right but he's so he's just so lovable you know he just he 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 tries to come off so hardened but he's just really not and you get yeah he's just really pretty not. early yeah <laughs> i mean he walks around with a big teddy bear i mean he's <laughs> <laughs> that's right he lets him do the do all the heavy lifting uh, what do you think about the relationship with him and lando yeah um i just there's so much in empire right that's so it's so brilliant um and one is the relationship with him and lando you know they go back a long ways um lando's kind of between a rock and a hard place with with the empire and so it 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 kind of moves him to betray you know his old friend and then he feels super bad about it i mean how much is you know that's like real life stuff right yeah you kind of like uh you kind of do your friend wrong and then you're like doggone it i really messed up i gotta make i gotta make it up to him right well i love that he's willing to to like actually sacrifice him his life and everything around it for this and set off on a completely new journey for the sake of making right this one backstab yep Yep. which was totally justified in a lot of ways i mean like what's he gonna do say no to vader <laughs> yeah but i know as a star wars fan when watching that movie for the first time i, I when that happened and, uh, yeah i wanted to him. kill him yeah, yeah. like lando's uh-huh. the worst he's absolutely <laughs> the worst and and by the end he's you love him he's one of the best because he he followed the redemption arc and it could have went different but yeah yeah, yeah he, he's really, a great character <laughs> i'm glad they brought him back a little bit i'm curious to see if he uh, makes it much farther through the through the stories there yeah well, as we're wrapping up here, Scott, I want to hit you up for takeaways. You know, what what is it about this story, especially Empire Strikes Back, that 
that you think about that helps empower you to be the person you want to be? What are, what are some of the the life lessons? I think you know, and I, I I grew up around the Star Wars movies. They kind of form. I sort of I want to say I sort of formed around them. Hmm. You know, uh, my my ideas of what was cool and and what what um, aesthetically as 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 well as like um, just. Almost everything, uh, my life could almost be summed up like Star Wars when I was a kid. Two words, mm-hmm. uh, and so I, my generation's a lot like that. They came out, they came out when we were coming of age, and so so when I think about Empire, you know, one of my big takeaways is that, that I think the central part of that whole film um, was was Luke's training, you know, on Dagobah, yeah, and um, how he just had to have so much you know beaten out of him, you know, so much false pride beaten out of him. You know, one of the greatest lines. There's so many great lines in all of those training montages that that were there but when you know when luke kind of gives his little his little half butt effort to try to raise that x-wing out of the swamp right. and and then yoda just does it with his little pinky you know like no problem right. this little guy who mm-hmm. seems so unimportant or whatever um and he says um uh i don't believe it and and he says that is why you failed <laughs> and i like like that's such a brilliant line and scene in that film and and how true is that of life um so some people say believe, seeing is believing, but also believing is seeing. You know, belief is so so important. I one of the things as a coach I tell my students is, or my my players and my kids are tired of me hearing me say this, but whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that and that that was brought home in that scene and, and just so many other things. Just the, the things aren't what they seem. Um, I love the emphasis on friendship. And how Luke was willing to risk it all to go for his buddies, to go to help his buddies. Right. I think there was something so noble in that. There is something noble. It's certainly admirable. You know, when I think about uh, as following that that intuitive sense of ad, ad, admiration, that was the word. And that when I think about following that intuitive sense of admiration over that character, that's one of those actions where you know it's stupid. Like everyone knows it's stupid. Like yep. it's plainly a trap. But what else can you do? You know, what else, what would be the right action at that point? No, it's like, die with your friends if you have to. Yes. Like that's, and that's a. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. It's a beautiful, it's, it's an admirable thing. And, and I think it's under, um, that's not something, I, I know very, very few people who would live by that. Hmm. Like we, I've, gosh, our, with, with uh, social media the way it is, especially leading up the election. Like I see so many people dying with their ideology rather than their friends like mm-hmm. they will burn friends in a heartbeat if they're not totally in line with whatever it is that they believe politically and ah oh, it just pains me it yeah. pains me to see that knowing that knowing that the the thing that we admire that when in the heroes that we admire is that willingness to die side by side with your friends no matter what's up against you uh, the dramatic differences in in thoughts dramatic differences in ethics even i mean han solo is a very different dude than than luke at least how they think they present themselves you know han solo and uh and leia are (laughs) painfully different um and yet and yet that's that that bond of friendship is uh is deep and valuable and worth preserving and we admire people who preserve that and that is evidence that that's the way to be yeah Uh, and that's that's just a you know i don't see that in real life you know, yeah, you not, as much as, not as much as we should. And, and that's and that's the necessity of of a mythology for a culture. Right. It's it's how values are passed down to the yeah. next generation. And so and George Lucas always wanted that his his he wanted his films to be inspiring and he wanted his films to be hopeful. And um, 
And so you, you want, he wanted you to be able to look at these characters and say, okay, there's kind of, there's kind of a roadmap for me because that's what mythology does. It's a roadmap for you as, as a kid or whatever. How am I supposed to live my life? You yeah. know, what am I, what do I want to be about? And we watch these stories and we're kind of like, okay, I see it. You know, I, that's what I want to be about. Yeah. Right Fierce there. loyalty. That would be, you know, yep. that's, feels loyalty to, to and that's and that's throughout right that's that's every one of the star wars movies yeah, right I and mean, even it's a very the, consistent yeah thing. rogue one um all of them and just how this group of friends develop and and they'll die for each other yeah yeah it's it's amazing how much harder that one is to to live out <laughs> than other things <laughs> than, it, than in that it is to talk about we all need to watch more star wars i think <laughs> is the point yeah let that sink in uh, but yeah, I mean, fiction throughout, that's, that's a really good one. I'm trying to think of my, the things that I really take away from, from these stories. Um, I really admire Lando's willingness to, to change in a split second. And also it, it, in this instance, uh, Luke's willingness to leave the training that he knows he has to do, um, to, to do something that is more important. So Lando recognizes that even though his skin on the line, his skin is on the line, his city is on the line. He knows the right thing to do, and he was willing to, as as it became obvious that that was the what he had to do, he was willing to, to do that. Yep, yeah, you know, no he made what a mistake. Cost. Yep, yeah. he made a mistake, and he admitted it, because you think about it, he, the first mistake he made was to try to preserve himself and his city, yeah. and, and then the decision he had to make at the end, he knew he was going to lose his city. Yeah, and he was going to be gone, and yep. And he probably wouldn't even have, there was no guarantee he'd even get his friends back. Like, who's to say they were going to just let him join them after he betrayed them? That's like, right. All right. Chewie almost choked him to death, right? right? And that's, that was the risk, you know? That's, I, I find that really admirable. Mm-hmm. That's, um, yeah, and that, I guess that's one of my, that would probably be my big, big takeaway would be, no matter how far into something I am, it's not, I can still turn around. Like, mm-hmm. at any point when I know I'm doing the wrong thing, it, it, there is no too late. You know, better late than never. Absolutely. Like, the, the turnaround point is, is as long as you're still breathing, it is yet yep. in front of you. Yep. Yep. And that, and that also runs throughout all the movies too. There's that, the theme of redemption to the very it's last, never too late. Yep. Yeah. You think about Vader. It's the, he was, <laughs> he was saved quote unquote in his yeah. last his dying moments breath. on earth. Yeah. Yeah. We're not on earth. I said on earth in most moments <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> Indeed. Well, that seems like a great way to wrap it up, Scott. I've certainly enjoyed having this conversation. Hopefully we'll drag you back on here again for another story. Yeah. Th- thanks for having me, man. Yeah. Well, you could talk about this stuff for hours and hours on end, right? No doubt. No doubt. Well, I know we're going to address Star Wars again, so we'll get you in for that. And uh, hopefully one of these other stories, I heard you're reading Huck Finn. Oh yeah. Huckleberry Finn, man. Um, Wow, that's uh, I hadn't picked that up since high school, and uh, I remember just rolling on the floor laughing uh, in high school reading that book, and I was just in need for something lighthearted, you know, with everything that's going on in the world. Let's just go back to some simplicity, and um, and I'm, I'm back to rolling on the floor laughing again. <laughs> that's great, man. That story is rich, too. There is some good stuff in there, so hopefully we'll get that going here, too. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us this week on Truth and Fiction. Look forward to catching you guys next time. All right. May the force be with you. Indeed. (laughs) Catch you later.